You are listening to the Claycomo Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We welcome you. Today is Sunday, July the 10th, 2022. Pastor Scott Gordon continues his study on healthy habits with service, and today is part three of his sub-series on service within healthy habits, looking at 1 Corinthians. So, we now send it over to Pastor Scott. As we study the habit of service, as we are continuing in this emphasis on healthy habits for our spiritual strength, as we continue, as you open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, and we are looking at these beginning, these, these what I would call foundational spiritual gifts that are found here in verses 6 through 8 of, of chapter 12. The reason that we are given spiritual gifts is not so that we can say, well, I have the gift of prophecy, or I have the gift of teaching, or I have the gift of leading, or the gift of mercy, or or all of this. And we can either pat ourselves on the back and go, aren't I special? Or we can look at others and go, my gift's better than yours. And make it all about us. The, the reason for this blessing of spiritual gifts, much like the song they were singing is, is so that we can be a blessing to all those around us. Now, primarily that includes and, and begins the, the, the fundamental bottom line for that encouragement and the gifting of the church is that we would be a blessing to each other within the family of faith. But if we keep it within the family of faith, we are falling short of the calling that God has given us. It would be so that we could take it beyond these walls, beyond our own lives, beyond our own homes, into our neighborhoods and our workplaces, our communities, our cities, our states, our nation, and the world. And that way, as we think about this, why is this important? Why is understanding spiritual gifts? Why is the habit of service essential for us as believers? It is so that we can fulfill the calling. We've talked about the bottom line. There are really two callings that we have. The second one kind of has a two-part to it. The first one is to go into all the world and make disciples. The Great Commission. The second is the Great Commandment. It begins with this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second aspect that is a companion to it, they walk hand in hand, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. On all of these things, the law and the prophets hinge. The bottom line is if we love God and are willing to make disciples and to share the good news and then to disciple and encourage and help strengthen one another, the great commandment. We will be faithful followers of Christ who bring honor and glory to his name. Now, will we be perfect? I hate to tell you, if you're looking for perfection, look around. You're not going to find it in any one of us. We're not. We find it in our Lord and in our Lord alone. But the holiness of God is the calling to which we are to strive. The righteousness that God has revealed in his word is the standard by which we are to live. And so as we turn to these pages, we continue our study in these spiritual gifts. Last week, just to recap very briefly, to set the stage for us, we talked about the gift of prophecy. Describing that as someone whose primary motivation is to boldly live and proclaim God's revealed truth. These people usually are the front lines of this is right, that is wrong, let's do what's right. And if we're doing what's wrong, why are you doing it? Let's get over it, let's get on with it. 
Let's get past it. Let, let's forsake sin and follow our Savior. The next gift that we looked at is the gift of service. The word diakona or diakonia is, is the one from which we get deacon, that service ministry. It is a leadership within the church. It is a leadership by example of service. And the description for that gift is somebody who primarily focuses on rendering practical help in the church and beyond. Those who want to say, how can I help? Come alongside, meet your needs, encourage you. Those aspects of service, to be a help, that's another way this gift is described, the gift of helps. So we're going to continue on in this list. In chapter 12, we begin in verse 6. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So the next step down this road of these list of gifts is the spiritual gift of teaching. The word is didasco. It is teaching, instructing. It is essentially communicating a skill or a truth. The way to describe someone with this primary motivation in a spiritual gift would, would look like this. Someone who wants to discover and explain God's revealed truth. Now, those who are teachers, you know, kind of like uh, those who are prophets and, and others get, get a bad rap. The prophets get the bad rap of being judgmental. This is right. This is wrong. God said it. That settles it. Just do it. And if you won't, what's your deal? You know, they, they get, we look at the Old Testament prophets that way, don't we? These guys are a bunch of just hard-nosed, you know, legalistic or whatever, a bunch of judgmental guys and that kind of thing, which is not true. We've looked at the minor prophets, and we've looked at how much the grace and mercy of God went alongside the declaration of God's righteousness, expectation, and holiness for us as well. Someone who teaches, has that spiritual gift of teaching as a primary motivation. Maybe somebody who just loves to study God's Word. And we usually say, well, dude, won't you get out in the world sometime? All you want to do is like hold up in the library and read books and study stuff. And if we're honest and, and we think about this, uh, this is one of my primary motivational gifts. And that it is very tempting. I could be completely content to live in a library, to study in a cave for hours upon end. But that's not what God has called us to do or be. There may be seasons where we are. Paul was that way. After his conversion, he was set aside for a minute for some training, equipping, for some discipline that needed to be built into his life. We think somebody in the Sanhedrin that came in the other way needed some discipline. Well, obviously he did, and God did that in that point. And then God moved him out into the great missionary endeavors and church planting and the things that he did. And so those with the spiritual gift of teaching aren't just hermits who want to hide from the world but are very serious students who go, I want to understand the truth so that I can help others understand it, so that I can teach it, so that I can help explain it. Even if I don't live it perfectly, I want us to all understand it as best we can so we can help each other get down the road God wants us to be on. And one of those people in the New Testament who was geared this way is Luke. The author of Luke Acts, uh, the, those two beautiful books in the New Testament in fact, the, the heart of the teacher is seen right there in the introduction of Luke Acts. In the beginning of Luke chapter 1, just listen to this. 
He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence. He says, others have done it, but I just can't help it. I need to do it too. I love this teacher. He just goes, we can't have enough information. We cannot see clearly enough times the beauty of the truth that God has revealed. So it also seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. I want it to be orderly so it can be understood. I want it to be in sequence so that it logically makes sense. And that you will know that you will have an assurance, a, a certainty of the truth of these things you have been taught or instructed. That is, that is the, the teacher, if you will, the spiritual gift of teaching in, in a nutshell right there. In fact... One of the aspects of that teaching gift is, is often someone who will focus on details. And it's like others of us, or I should say, I guess others of you would go, would you just get on with it? I mean, why do we have to spend five weeks in one verse or whatever it might be? I mean, come on. Don't you get tired of this? But there's an aspect of like even in Luke's life, drawing out details that nobody else mentions. In fact, if you come to the focus on the cross, we come to the time in the garden. Luke is the only one who mentions the following. In Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 44, they're in the garden. Everybody mentions that. He moves about a stone's throw away, and Jesus begins to pray. There's, there's mention of that in at least Mark and, and uh, Matthew as well. But listen to this. He, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthening, appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, here's the part that he gets that everybody else leaves at. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Luke's the only one who mentions that in all of the Gospels. And so because he's the only one that mentions that, it's easy to go, oh, that's neat, and just kind of want to drive on by, so to speak. But pausing for a moment and looking at that, it's the beauty of the gospel. God made him who knew no sin, what? To become sin for us. So that through him, we might obtain the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine what him who knew no sin taking on sin felt like because as much as God as Jesus was fully God he was 100% man and in this moment in the garden that shift begins to take place towards walking with the father to the father starting to pull away because sin cannot stand in God's presence God Jesus is all the same don't ask me to explain all that that's just what we know But he walks into that garden, another writer, and I'm, I don't remember if it's Luke, I didn't look this part up, looks at it and says, when he got in there, his soul became greatly troubled. 
In other words, he may have had a heart attack in that moment, physically. And then getting to this point of saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Luke mentions this medical diagnosis of hematidrosis. I didn't put it on there. Don't need to spell it. If you can't pronounce it, I can't either. That is, when the body endures such a high level of stress that the capillaries where the sweat glands meet and the blood and oxygen transfer burst and blood mixes with sweat and comes out of the pores of our skin. That's what Luke is telling us right here. The weight of sin, how serious is it? Sweat and drops of blood serious for you and me. And Jesus, despising the shame for the joy set before him, endured the cross for us. How beautiful is that truth revealed to us by Luke in so many ways, so beautifully pictured the good news of the gospel. Well, the next gift, trying to not take too long and run faster, is the gift of exhortation or exhorting. We see that right there uh, in verse 8. If exhorting in exhortation, just kind of a, it seems redundant, in the aspect that we have here, the Greek word is parakaleo. It may sound familiar. The word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. It's the same word. It's the same root. The word means to be called alongside or to call alongside, to encourage, to comfort. The gift of encouragement, exhortation, a great description of someone with this primary motivation is someone who is encouraging spiritual progress in others. Who will come alongside and say, man, you're having a hard time? And you go, yeah, well, come on, what, let's do this together. What can I do to help you this way? That exhortation is that aspect of it. It is very sincere words of encouragement. The example we find for ourselves in Scripture is Paul. You say, Paul's kind of judgmental at times. Well, he's strong and convictional. There's no, no contradiction between conviction and encouragement. There's just not. Here's, listen to these sincere words. Paul had a son in the faith, you've probably heard. Young dude by the name of Timothy, who was becoming a pastor. And Paul, in discipling him, wrote him a couple of letters to encourage him. And in the second one, 2 Timothy, we find in chapter 1 these words. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you, he's talking to Timothy, when I remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, listen to this relationship encouragement, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also, I'm going to talk about encouragement. Young pastor, think about you and your young spiritual walk, even in your spiritual walk right now. Maybe serving as a deacon, serving as a pastor, serving as a parent, serving God as a discipler, as an encourager to someone else. Or just finding ourselves needing that extra little bit of push. And I can tell you a number of times the people God has used in my life to say, hey, how's it going? And when we're willing to be honest with that person, they 
have more often than not in my life been ready to encourage and not judge. What do you mean you're having a problem with? It's like, oh, man, I understand. Can I pray with you about that? Hey, I've even been through that, too, and here's how God helped me to understand how to turn away from that sin and turn towards him. To find that level of encouragement or to be that encourager. In fact, Paul's doing it right here in this very passage in Romans chapter 12, backing up to verses 1 and 2. Very familiar words. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we studied Romans, we said this was that transition point. Paul's done a lot of theology in, verses, in chapters 1 through 8 to understand salvation, the greatness of God, the struggle of, of righteousness and unrighteousness, sin, and following our Savior, that, that aspect of, of the life that we live being transformed, having been buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life in Christ, trusting Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and then showing the big picture of all people in, ver in chapters 9 through 11. It's not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then beginning in chapter 12 through the end, he starts saying, and this is what being saved looks like. And he starts off with the big overview. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he says it like this. I urge you. That word urge is the very same root as exhortation. It's the exact same root, parakaleo, to call alongside. That doesn't mean to call out and to point out. That means to stand with and say, hey, I'm here to help you. Hey, I'm here. What do you need? The third one we're going to look at today, spiritual gift-wise, that leaves us two remaining for next week, is the spiritual gift of giving. It's the next one in the list. I think Paul felt rushed at points too because he would say like, you know, according, if it's prophecy according to your faith, exhorting, exhortation, giving, generosity. And he just kind of moves on. He kind of runs by it, it seems like. But it's very succinct but very important. The definition of the word metadidomai is to give over, to share, or to grant, to give. That's the picture, then the description the best one I find is to someone who wants to develop and distribute resources to further God's kingdom. Now, like I said, and I don't remember if I said it last Sunday or last Wednesday, the days run together. The purpose of studying these gifts is not so I can get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, if I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, I don't have to witness. If I don't have the spiritual gift of giving, then it's not really important that I give. And the answer to both of those is, nope. Our calling in faithfulness is that we share the gospel, that we witness, that we evangelize, that we tell others about Jesus. Calling to faithfulness and trusting God is that we give faithfully to support the work of the church and to say to God, I trust you. You have blessed me with everything I have, and you have called me to give back a portion of that through the tithe, through offerings, and I'm going to be faithfully obedient to your call to your people that you've always had and trust you in this way. Somebody then with the spiritual gift of giving 
takes it to the next level, someone who could lead out, someone who really focuses on that and can help encourage others because, let's be honest, the area of stewardship and faithfully giving and tithing is probably one area that is the most easy and ready-made for us to show our obedience. At the same time, it's often very difficult. Because we go, God, I trust you, but... And I know I'm not the only one who's felt that, so don't judge me. But here's that feeling that we have in relationship to giving. But those encouragers, those who look at, at, at giving in a different way, help to encourage us. And Matthew, now you say he was a tax collector. The dude knew money and all that kind of stuff. Well, God used his experiences alongside a spiritual gift to through his ministry and writing the gospel that he did to be an encouragement to others. Listen how he sees this. He sees what Jesus taught on giving. Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 go like this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it's that aspect. Those folks that God has blessed with the spiritual gift of giving often have an ability to accrue resources, if you will. They are financially probably some of the more well-off people that I have known in my life and ministry everywhere that I've served. But without exception, when I've been in those situations, those who've had that primary motivation are also the most humble and the least attention-drawing I've ever seen. You'd never know they had a dime to their name. But they were the ones who could encourage and could be able to facilitate ministries in the church and to see a need and to gather people together to help meet the need. When we talk about giving of resources, we often talk about money and finances. That's the one that's most ready for us to see. But there's also our time, our talents, our lives. And people that get to giving have a way of seeing that need and then drawing people together to go meet that need. Whether it is financially, whether it is a, a time resource, it's a talent resource. But it's a, it's a beautiful picture. Listen to this. And just think about the emphasizing the goal of generosity for the sake of Christ's kingdom. Matthew does that. Some of the other writers do to some degree. But Matthew concentrates alone in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 on this. Entering the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Who is they? This is the wise men. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He's the only one who records the visit of the Magi, the, the visit of the wise men in the Advent, the birth narrative of Jesus. Much like we see Luke in those details as a teacher, we see Matthew with the gift of giving looking at this example and sharing it with us. Why? To make us feel bad because we didn't have the gold to give? To guilt us into saying, man, they gave this, why can't you do that? No. To say, listen, look at what God did to bring honor to his name.
from every one of us, from the shepherds to the wise men, we see this. God's name is praised. And there's no problem. In fact, he goes on. Of all the ones in the story of Jesus' death, talking about the death and the burial of Jesus, he's the only one who says it like this. Matthew 27, verses 57 to 60 begin like this. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came. He's the only one who calls Joseph rich. Everyone else talks about Joseph's stature in the community, his name as a spiritual leader. He says this, but he says a rich man from Arimathea. Now, is that to go, hey, we need to curry favor with the guys with the money? The answer is no. But he also says, look at what God can do, and we need not discount from the poorest of us to the richest of us, how God can use us to help each other, to bring honor to his name. And oftentimes we look at one end or the other and we tend to dismiss or we overlook. And Matthew saw this and he said, listen, look at what this rich man who had this tomb, who could have kept it to himself, look at what he did. Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. And it's just a, a beautiful picture. And I think all of these gifts, as we think about seeing them work together, help remind us that we're all in this together, no matter what background we come from. Whether we've had it all or we've had nothing. Whether we've grown up in church or we have grown up away from church, so to speak. That God brings us all together for the glory of his name. And in all of that, he has given us all gifts to help bless each other. It's that process that we find ourselves in, either reminding ourselves how God has gifted us or beginning to discover. And I've got a question for you. Do you like broccoli? Or do you, like former President George H.W. Bush, not like broccoli? I remember that growing up, watching him, and that was a thing that came out. George was, you know, and all the parents were horrified because now the kids won't eat broccoli because the president doesn't like it. Do you like steak? I love steak. Okay, here's the question. Do you like Carolina Reaper peppers? Or not like them? Now, my question in all of those questions is, how do you know? If you like them or don't. The only way to really know is to have tried it. Tried broccoli? Eh, not a fan. Or wow. To me, it's you got to cook it right. You don't cook it right. Oh. But anyway, steak, you have to try really hard to mess it up. But you can get it to taste like leather. I get that, okay? I mean, you can get it rough and tough and all of that, or you can leave it to where it should still be walking out on the range, and that's just not done enough, all right? But I love steak, and the older I get, I, the, I'm finding the hotter I like my food. 
I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't, I don't know why, why that's the case. Now, Carolina Reaper, little doses. But I like spicy food. But the way I found out that is I tried them. How do we find our gifts? I know I mentioned last week, and yes, you're right. I'm probably going to mention it every week. How do we find and discover our spiritual gifts? It's through serving. It's through stepping out and saying, God, lead me. And there's an open door of an opportunity, and I go and serve. And then, just by way of reminder, we discover where God has gifted us by examining our feelings. Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. By expecting confirmation from my church family, it's not a lone ranger thing. But as I'm doing it, people go, you know what? I see God using you to help. I see God using you to teach. I see God using you to serve. I see God using you to encourage giving. I see God using you in these ways. And then finally, evaluating my effectiveness. Not only somebody saying, I see it, but I noticed I saw you do that. And did you see how that helped that person? I saw God use you. And you, God used you effectively. It was a blessing to someone else. As much as we might find a blessing in it, the even further blessing for me has been those who come alongside and encourage and said, man, I really appreciate this or that. Or what's even more fun is when some of you come to me and tell on somebody else who wouldn't normally tell on themselves. You know what? I saw, and, and when it's good, I, I'm cool with it. When it's not so good, I'm like, you shouldn't be doing that. But I've had a number of people come and say, I just want you to know, the other day, you know, either I saw Jamie or I saw Lynette or I saw Carol or I saw somebody do this for somebody. And it just makes me go, oh, that's so cool. That shows we're getting it. We're living it. We're doing it as God has called us to do. So let's not make this harder than it needs to be. Are there challenges to discovering our spiritual gifts? Absolutely there are. We've talked about the challenges. I can be so distracted that I couldn't hear God or I wouldn't know that I'm hearing from God even if he's speaking or when he is speaking, not if, but when. But when I'm focused on this and God begins to open doors and I find this area of service and I enjoy it and others are blessed by it, you know what? We just may have found our spiritual gift. And let's just keep on going. Let's keep on doing and as I mentioned Wednesday night, one area that has become helpful, and one guy that I read who taught on this area, usually we get this narrowed down to, oh, I find my spiritual gift and my ministry, and that's it. Don't bother me with anything else. You know, I am here to be a, a you know, an apostle, which we won't even try to get into that. Apostles, prophet, pastor, teachers, Ephesians 4.11 who is a prophet motivation, so don't you dare ask me to be in the children's ministry because it would end badly for me or the kids or something because those drive me crazy, you know, that. I don't have any patience for kids or whatever. No. Our primary ministry in our lives and our lives, especially within the local church, ought to be where God has gifted us. That's why God has put us here. He's put that, he's done that on purpose. Let's not get away from God's design and, and plan in the midst of all. And part of his other plan is this, my secondary ministry. Because, yeah, we're often called to do more than one thing in serving within the body of Christ. My secondary ministry ought to be anywhere I'm needed. 
I'm not gifted. Right. I was just looking this last week from my old church in Marietta, the builders that come from there. They were in Colorado. I was jealous. It's cool there. They were building a church for a place out there. I've traveled with them I don't know how many times. I've helped tear down roofs, rebuild roofs, rearrange auditorium 180 degrees, build a parsonage from the slab up. If you were to ask me today how to build a wall to make it stand and be square, I could not tell you how to do it. I am not gifted. I am not talented in that way ever and probably never will be. And it may be just because I don't have the patience and desire to do it. That's a whole other story. It's another sermon another time. But working alongside our youth that went with our builders at that time, anywhere they pointed me, I go, you know what? I can swing a hammer. A thumb may be involved, but I can hit a nail. Anywhere we are needed to serve, as well as where God has gifted me and wants me to focus first on. But focusing primarily, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Man, we need you. Get in. You're good. Roll with it. That's your ministry. But also, hey, I can serve on the, the praise team. I want to I help sing and lead and worship. And also, and all these things, we'll see God continue to bless and direct our lives, our life together as his church. In all of these things, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts that God has blessed us with. Let's enjoy them and use them like he intended for us to. You're listening to the Clay Cullen Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Clay Cullen, please visit us online at www.claybapt.org.